0: Good morning, church, and welcome this morning on this Easter Sunday at Thanksgiving. Um, we've been having a strange few weeks here at church, given uh, only, what, five, six weeks ago we celebrated Christmas here at Shelburne Street, and of course we've been going through the story, and we've been kind of whipping through all of these wonderful events, um, that uh, many of which we have great celebrations around and around, and, and here we are now celebrating Easter on Thanksgiving Sunday, which I think works really well. If there's something that we could be thankful for, I think it's for Jesus' resurrection. Amen. So if you're a little confused this morning, that's okay. Um, Kate and I missed you guys last week. We were up at uh, Ladysmith visiting my father and, and my stepmother, and uh, I had the opportunity to preach at my father's church at Christ Church Oceanside. And we actually have a... Uh, church connection to that church. Many of you know Nicole Williams, who is ministering right now in China. Uh, that was a church that she was at before she came here to Shelver Street. So there's a church connection for you. And while I was preaching there, I, I had the opportunity to preach on Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, the end of Ephesians chapter 3 is this beautiful prayer that Paul prays for the church. But before we got into that, We spent some time looking at Paul, or rather at that time Saul's conversion, or his calling, if you will, on the road to Damascus. Because I think just about everything that Paul wrote, it was in response to a a specific situation, but to really get to the heart of where Paul is coming from, to really understand what drove him, I think we need to really look carefully sometimes at that experience on the road to Damascus. The reality of Paul meeting the risen Lord Jesus, not just a vision, but the risen Lord Jesus, was paramount to what formed his faith, and it's paramount to what forms ours today. It's not hard to believe that Jesus died. Anyone crucified on a cross would meet that fate, Death is a natural thing. It's not hard to believe that Jesus died on the cross. But to believe in the resurrection, that is something else, isn't it? That's something very unnatural that sometimes we have to wrap our heads around. I ended the sermon that Sunday, just last week, with a question to the congregation. The question I I ended with was, do we serve today a what or a whom? Do we serve today the idea of the risen Jesus? Or do we serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ alive and in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit today? I think there is a difference there. That's the question that I will pose to you this morning as we spend some time looking at the resurrection. First, would you please pray with me? Lord, your word is exciting, it is good, it is life giving. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you would open your word up to us in a very powerful and real way. And Lord Jesus, I ask that my words, Lord, my ideas, my thoughts would fall to the floor and that your word, Lord, would find a place in our hearts, in our minds this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. We welcome you, risen Jesus. We praise you, Lord, and we ask that you be with us now. We thank you for how you've been with us already in Jesus' name. Tear down this temple, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. This was Jesus' rather cryptic reply to the Jews when they asked him, By whose authority, what sign do you give to show that you have authority to do what you just did, to clear out the temple, to clear out the money changers, to get rid of the vendors? By whose authority, what sign do you give? And Jesus replied, Destroy this temple, and I will build it again. In three days. Of course, he wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about himself. And as time passed by, he became more and more clear with his disciples about just what he meant. In the book of Matthew, it's recorded he says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. In the book of Mark, it says, We are going up to Jerusalem, he told them. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The book of Luke says almost the exact same thing. And yet, did any of his disciples believe him? Peter rebukes him at the very idea. We looked at that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? And no sooner does he lay this out in the book of Mark when the disciples end up arguing about who is going to be greatest in his kingdom. A kingdom most likely understood by them to be one of military power, political power, and they want a piece of that action. So there's no room in this scenario for a dead Messiah. What in the world is Jesus talking about? And on the Saturday after Jesus' death, the disciples aren't waiting in expectation for a resurrection. They are behind locked doors in fear. And on Sunday morning, the women do not go to find an empty tomb, but instead come prepared to anoint Jesus' body, it says. A practice of placing oil on the body and then washing it with water, and in some cases, and in this case, bringing spices. To do what? Reduce the stench of decay. No one believed, or at least they didn't act like it. And I don't know if we can blame them, can we? We talked about this this morning in class. I'm not sure we can blame the disciples for their reactions. After all, they've all encountered a rather terrible, painful, sorrowful couple of days, haven't they? And on top of all that, they've experienced some really spooky stuff. Jesus dies, and all of a sudden there's a series of earthquakes, the land is covered in darkness. And I wonder, at that point, had any of them yet caught wind of the curtain being torn in two in the temple? There's some weird stuff going on. No wonder they're a little bit afraid. And yet, I have to ask, they had seen so much in their time with Jesus. Together they had witnessed great miracles, some of which I relay now in no particular order whatsoever. They had seen Jesus feed the 4,000. If that wasn't enough, they saw him feed the 5,000. They saw people who were deaf have their ears opened up. They saw people who were blind become able to see. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead, turn water into wine. If that's not enough to convince somebody, I don't know what is three of them got to see the transfiguration. And what did these miracles point to? What did these miracles have to tell them? Imagine you're a disciple alone on a boat with Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's a great storm that comes up. And you're bailing the water out of the boat while Jesus is asleep. And so you wake him up and you say, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind And he speaks to the waves and he says, Quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves become quiet and become still. And all is calm except for the sound of the disciples' knees knocking together. Why? They ask, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I think as they ask that question, they already know the answer. Because they've read their book of Genesis and they know that only Yahweh brings order to chaos, doesn't he? Only the creator of heaven and earth can bring order to chaos like that. Have you ever been stuck in a boat with God? No wonder they were terrified. The miracles point to Jesus' authority and his power. One awesome depiction of this is seen in the healing of the paralytic that we read about in Matthew 9. Here is this man, lame, all his life, laying on the mat. And Jesus comes up to him and says, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees flip. They say, What? You cannot do that. You cannot forgive that man's sins. By what authority do you have to do that? That is blasphemous. What does Jesus do? Okay. Okay pick up your mat, walk and go home. And the Pharisees go, oh, I guess he does have authority to forgive sins after all. (laughs) Look at that. After all that the disciples have seen and experienced his power and authority, they are not prepared still for the resurrection. And yet he rose from the dead. The Bible gives us four accounts of this, each with some differing details, but all with one thing in common. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. On that, there is no room for debate. But couldn't of the believers have stolen his body? Couldn't they have just done that and started this wonderful story of Jesus risen from the dead? Well, the Pharisees and the high priests kind of thought of that too, didn't they? And they went to Pilate and they said, make sure you put some guards there. We don't want this happening. And, And they did so. But more than that, it wouldn't have made sense to steal Jesus' body and say that he had been resurrected. Because in the Jewish belief and in the Jewish story, there was no room for a single resurrection. They did not believe that. They believed in a one-time resurrection for all who believed. Not just one person. If you're going to fabricate a religion, you don't start with something so foreign, with such a hard concept to grasp. More so, men and women do not give their lives... For something they don't truly believe, let alone some grand hoax. So, no, I don't think they would have stolen his body. So, what about the authorities? Could they have taken it? But again, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because why would you lend credence or fan the flame of the disciples' passion? And when they began to preach that Jesus Christ had risen, wouldn't that have been a great time to produce the body and say, actually, no, he's right here. There's your Messiah and stamp out this movement before I get started. The point of all this is not to try and provide some great apologetic for the resurrection. The point of all this is to highlight what the Bible is telling us. What J.I. Packer puts so well, Christianity rests on the certainty of Jesus' resurrection as a space-time occurrence in history. It happened, people. Hallelujah! It happened. Jesus appeared to all sorts of people, and it's recorded in the Gospels. Although I have to ask, wouldn't it have been great if he appeared first to the Pharisees? Wouldn't that have be been great if he walked in and he said, well, look who rebuilt the temple in three days after all. Boo! <laughs> you know? Wouldn't it have been great if he appeared before, the, before the, the centurions that mocked him, the Roman soldiers that mocked him and drove the nails into his hands? Look at who you are mocking. He doesn't do that, does he? At least not that we ever read about. And yet he appears to many people, some one-on-one, sometimes two or three, a few times to the eleven disciples. Paul even records about one time Jesus appeared to as many as 500 people at one time. He comes before them and he says, Look at my hands. Touch my feet. Touch my side. What we would read later on in 1 John, what we saw, we touched, and we handled. He invites them. He gets hungry. You guys got any fish? I could really go for some fish right now. And he takes it, and he eats it, and he swallows it, and digests it. This is Jesus Christ, risen Lord, in the flesh. And yet, somehow different. Somehow, he seems to appear and disappear at times. He seems at times to be able to come through locked doors. What's that all about? There's your discussion topic for lunch today. For all of you who go downstairs or out to your families or your life groups this week, you guys figure that out and you let me know. I'd like to know. Why does Jesus appear to them and not as oppressors? I think it's because now, after all that they had seen Jesus do, all that all that they have heard him say now, Now they have the opportunity to truly know what the full reality of the risen Jesus means to them. Peter enthusiastically wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Hallelujah. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can experience a new birth. We get this new birthright into his kingdom, into his family. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ, Paul would call it. Within this new kingdom comes an inheritance of eternal life, and the power of death is done away with. No longer are we subject to the rule of sin because Christ has ruled over it. Amen? Amen. See, you and I, we've done some terrible things in our lives. And perhaps we've had to live with the consequences of some of those terrible things. But in a life in Jesus Christ, those things no longer define us. God's grace is what defines us through Jesus Christ, through the risen Lord. This is exceedingly good news that comes through the reality of of his resurrection. The reality of the risen Jesus is seen in an explosion of faith that gives birth to the church, empowered through the gift of the Holy Spirit who, as Jesus said, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And as we progress in the story, in our series, we're going to see this in Acts and in Paul's ministry as the church just continues to spread and grow and grow. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to what to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Awesome. The power of the Holy Spirit is spoken of often throughout the rest of the New Testament. It is through his power that Christ is transforming the lives of those in his church and strengthening them to carry on a life devoted to the risen Lord Jesus. And this explosion of faith that caused a small movement to therefore go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them about the love of Jesus, this is what has shaped so much of our world over the last 2,000 years. And I have to ask if not from the reality of the risen Jesus working in their lives, then from what? A grand hoax? can't believe that for a second. But it's not hard to believe that Jesus died. But to believe in his resurrection, that is something else. And so this morning, what do we believe? If we are truly honest with ourselves, what do we believe? Today in our hearts and in our actions, do we serve the idea of the risen Christ? Or do we serve the risen Lord Jesus, what are we placing our faith in today? Because if we serve just the idea of the risen Jesus, I think that can lead us into some trouble, because then that leaves room for lots of other ideas and philosophies and superstitions to share in that idea of Jesus. And that leads to all sorts of difficulties. Because soon the Lordship of Christ, our fears and our desires begin to get in the way of that. I trust Jesus for this, but I'm going to check my horoscope just to make sure that I know what I ought to get into today, just for fun. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but oh, I got this chain letter. I better make sure I forward that on so I get that good luck and I get that money that's coming to me. I'm sorry the lordship of Christ has no room for these things. God says there's no room for anything else but himself in our lives. And if we serve the risen Lord Jesus, then his lordship through the power of the Holy Spirit becomes the true reality of our lives, our living hope. For he is our living savior. Our fears and our desires become subject to his power and authority in our lives. The power and authority that has overcome death, that has overcome our sin, amen? And so for the Christian, it's not enough to say, I believe that Christ was crucified. But rather, we must also say what Paul wrote in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A life not based on a what, but on a who Jesus, the risen Lord. When we live with the Lord Jesus, we are in a true relationship. Something that's lacking very much in our lives today in our culture. A true relationship is such a rare thing these days, isn't it? Often such a fragile thing. Our culture teaches us to be so fearful and suspicious of people. It teaches us to be um, questioning all the time. But in Christ, in a relationship with the risen Christ, we find ourselves... Involved with someone who is strong, who is faithful, and who is loving. How often do we truly long for those things in our relationships these days? A relationship that is strong, that is faithful, and that is full of love. Doesn't that sound better than any idea that we could attach ourselves to How much more purposeful and meaningful is that in a world where so many relationships are such a sham? The risen Christ longs to touch our hearts and write the truth in our hearts that we are not alone. We are dearly loved. We have been bought with a great price. And everything that we experience in this world, both bad and good, whether it's pain and sorrow and confusion, anger, or all the good things, too. Enjoying a mist-covered lake in the morning or a beautiful sunrise at night or holding a newborn baby in our arms. Even those good things, that's not all there is to this life. In the risen Jesus, there is so much more. And the risen Christ knows us and he calls us by name. There are four different accounts of the resurrection, and the one in John often strikes me the most. Mary has come to see the tomb, to anoint Jesus' body, only to find that he's not there. And she runs, and she gets two disciples, Peter and we believe John. And so they run, and they look, and they don't know what to make of it. And so they head back, and Mary stays there, and she is possibly hysterical. She's in great grief. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Even two angels in white are not enough to bring her out of her grief. At this, she turns around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus. The risen Christ knows us, and he calls us by name. Last week we looked at the crucifixion. By we, I mean you, I wasn't here. And I know that Travis in that time offered up a chance for people to, if they have never responded before to what Christ has done for them, to respond at that time. I want to carry on that today. Sometimes it takes a couple of times to hear this. And maybe you've been mulling over it the past week or so. But if you've never answered that call, Jesus' call to you, to come and know him the risen Christ. I want to invite you this morning to take steps to answer that call. At the end of the service or at the end of the sermon, we're all going to stand up and we're going to sing a song and I'm going to stand at the back door there if anybody wants to talk some more about this because really now is the time. Not next week, not a month from now. Now is the time. I invite you, come back and let's talk about it. Don't worry about missing the service. I'd rather we miss a little bit of the service than a lot of Jesus. Amen? So I invite you, take those steps, and let's talk. Jesus asks, who is it you are looking for? Deep down in our hearts, I believe that answer is him. And he calls us by name. Come and know and serve the risen Christ this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, would you come up? Lord, again, your word is good. Your word is exciting. Your word, Lord Jesus, is life-giving. And I pray that your word, Lord, would touch each and every one of us today. Lord God, as we come from here, we would have a greater sense, Lord, of your presence in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Jesus Christ, risen and alive, Praise you, Lord. We give thanks for this, Father. Thank you for your Son and for all that he means to us, Lord God. I pray for those who don't know him that you would continue, Lord God, to open their hearts to you and your message and your word, Lord Jesus. May we take that step to truly come and know you, perhaps even this morning, Lord God. Now, Lord, I pray that you would go ahead of the rest of this service as we sing as we take communion together and we celebrate what you've done, Lord Jesus, and what you are doing in our lives, Lord God. And I ask, Lord God, that we would truly come from here filled with thanksgiving for who you are. Praises unto you, Lord God. Glory unto your name, Lord Jesus, for you are worthy to be praised. Amen. Bless you.